James 1, verses 19 through 27, these are God's words. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone amongst you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Well, last week in verses 1 through 18, we heard about how the key to counting various trials, all joy, uh, is to see that they come to us in the invariable, unvarying goodness of our God, who is to us a Father of lights, from whom every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from him. Uh, and with him there is no variation or shadow. Uh, and then there's this transition into the section that we are in, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So not only is he a father of lights, but if he is a father of lights and he begot us, he brought us forth, what sort of children would you expect us to be or to become? Children of lights. And so since he is unvarying, invariable, constant in his goodness, we ought to be constant in reflecting his goodness and his character. So he says, so then, my beloved brethren, and this ties verse 19 through 27 uh, back to verse 16, where he said, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Uh, and then verse 17, where he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, which explains the slightly unique wording in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father. Uh, we would expect before God our Father, wouldn't we? Uh, and so in verse 27, he's saying, the way that this kind of religion gets worked out in our lives is by the character of our Heavenly Father, who has given to us spiritual life by His Spirit in His Son, producing an imitation of Himself. Pure and undefiled are 
themselves characteristics that are very closely related to, aren't they, to unvarying and never a shadow passing over. Uh, and so when we think about lay aside all filthiness in verse 21, that's lay aside everything uh, that would be a corruption or an impurity uh, in the godliness uh, that God is producing in us as his children united to Christ and dwelt by the spirit of sonship, the spirit of Christ. And so there is a uh, a constancy uh, that is to be reflected in the Christian's character. And this constancy is true of all godliness, of all righteousness. But one of the things uh, that one of the instabilities or interruptions or variations that especially shows up in a Christian is when he speaks out of turn or uses his mouth in an ungodly way, uh, or he becomes frustrated and angry. Uh, so this first uh, instruction, commandment, uh, in verse 19 uh, is very closely related uh, because gentleness and steadiness are connected, united uh, in the character of a believer. So he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now that last statement then in verse 20 uh, is important in two different ways. One, often one of the reasons we strike out in heat is because we think that our indignation, our irritation, and it may be it's something that is unrighteous, but if we think that uh, our losing our cool and answering and stopping something in our indignation is going to set things right, and we are greatly mistaken. Uh, is, uh, is, are we going to do better than God, uh, who is enduring patiently vessels prepared for wrath, and who does break out in time uh, in his wrath against sin and, uh, and brings... Uh, breakings of his justice out, and has appointed authorities in home and in church and in society and uh, in nation, uh, whose job it is to to use the authority in their specific sphere uh, in a way that encourages the good and punishes the evil. Uh, are we going to suddenly, because we uh, got so upset? Uh, and we became full of hot anger, are we going to do better in bringing the righteousness of God into time than if we had uh, gently, steadily, thoughtfully carried out whatever our particular role is? And often our particular role as brother or friend or neighbor is rebuke, even when we're not in authority. But that comes from careful consideration of whom God has made us to be to one another not from getting so upset about an injury or offense or perceived injury or offense, whether to us or to someone else, that we become full of wrath. So that's one way that we have to think about for the righteousness of man, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But the other way is actually the, the one that we began thinking about, that the wrath of man is not how we become more like God 
in his righteousness. That's fleshly wrath does not make us more godly, even if in retrospect we can rationalize how right it was for us to get so angry. No, if we are swift to hear and slow to speak, doesn't mean we never speak, and slow to wrath doesn't mean we're never full of wrath. It gives us the opportunity in meditation upon God's word and response to his word as we're about to hear in the ensuing verses and the following verses. It gives us the opportunity not to have the wrath of man, but to imitate our Father, and to submit to our Father, to imitate him in the wisdom and judiciousness of his character. And we can see Jesus did become very angry at times, but not quickly, hastily angry. And we can see him as the elder brother, who is a perfect example to us. Uh, and so we can submit also, therefore, to those institutions and hierarchies of authority that the Lord has put in those societies, particularly family, church, nation, uh, that he has invented. So we are to be beloved, as beloved brethren, who are children of the Heavenly Father, we are to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Uh, this is one way that uh, we would show ourselves unstable if we speak too quickly, too easily, out of turn, or easily angered, hastily angered. Uh, but those aren't the only impurities that we should be seeking to get rid of. We want to lay aside all filthiness, verse 21, so that we can come more and more into the unspotted and undefiled religion, verse 27. Well, how are we to lay aside all filthiness? Well, that which is worked out in... Uh, being slow to speak, slow to wrath, quick to hear, bridling our tongue, verse 26, paying care, special attention to those to whom God pays special attention as he visits orphans and widows in their trouble, and we seek to do the same, watching out for all of those things by which the world defiles itself because it doesn't know its purpose in God. It doesn't have its pleasure in God. It doesn't draw its principles from God. It rests upon something else for its power than God. Uh, and so there are many things that those who do not know him, who live apart from the knowledge of God and Christ, uh, which is what we mean by the world here uh, in verse 27. Uh, there are many ways in which they are defiled, uh, and in many of those things, since that's just the flesh being unhindered by the knowledge of God and Christ, uh, we too have filthiness in us, verse 21, that we are to lay aside. Thankfully, the Lord gives us the means, the method by which he gives us to lay aside all that filthiness, whether it's depending upon ourselves or something, some creaturely a thing for power or finding pleasure in ourselves or purpose in ourselves or living by our own principles. Uh, and the method by which he gives us to lay aside and to be purified is to receive with meekness the implanted word. So God gives us a gentleness and humility towards others, first and foremost, by giving us a gentleness and humility before him. And a gentleness and humility before him is especially going to be expressed in the way that we receive the word and gained by that way of receiving the word. 
So receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And so he speaks there not just of the word itself as the seed, which Jesus, of course, does, doesn't he, in his parable, which is really the parable of the soils. And the good, the, the good seed is the word. Uh, but when he calls it the implanted word, he speaks not just of the word, but of the Lord himself and what he does with the word. That we would see uh, reading the Bible and thinking upon the Bible and especially sitting under the preaching of the Bible, receiving with meekness the implanted word. Uh, as uh, Romans 10 says, and we'll hear soon in the midweek sermons, how will they hear without a preacher? Uh, this receive, refers to a humble way of listening and receiving sermons uh, and a hopeful way of listening to and receiving sermons, which is hoping in Jesus to plant his word in me. Isn't that much better than thinking, I have got to get this down so that I remember it with my mind and understand it like I'm supposed to, and so that I feel about God and about everything like I'm supposed to, so that I will always do just as I'm supposed to. Well, it's true that you hope all those things will come from receiving and hearing the word preached. But praise God, he is the one who is planting it. And our great part is to be receivers, to be planted into. Now he gives us counsel in his word for the way to listen that does this. You, know, you put away distractions like uh, the thoughts and cares which can spring up alongside the word, whether pleasures or worries. You, uh, you want to come with uh, not hard heart, but willing ears, willing heart. Uh, you want to receive it deeply. So don't just kind of mull it over in your thoughts and <laughs> interesting curiosity or, uh, or just thinking about it theoretically, but receiving and thinking uh, as you look to God to help you and do the work in you uh, about how it informs your infection, your affections and, uh, and how it changes uh, what you desire and the order in which you desire things and yeah, so the parable of the soils is actually very helpful here. He gives us things to do, but the emphasis here is on humility and gentleness, meekness, under what God is doing. And I find that marvelously hopeful, uh, especially as he, <coughs> as he warns us about a real danger. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So the person who is only ever contemplative, but he never gets to the working out what God works in as he works in us both to will and to work for his own good pleasure. And here he gives us the way he works in us to will and to work according to his own good pleasure by working his word into us. And now what this is saying is if, uh, if you are uh, only a hearer, but you are not a doer, you're never working out your own salvation, then you may be sure that it is not actually God working his word into you. So that if it is not affecting and shaping and changing our lives, uh, one 
secret worship at a time, one family worship at a time, one sermon at a time, as the Lord works in and by his grace makes us also to work out and be doers of the word and not hearers only. If that isn't how we are uh, experiencing and expressing the ministry of the word, then we are deceiving ourselves. We are telling ourselves, I am a Bible Christian. I meditate upon God's word so much, which may even uh, take the form of, I think about theology so much, or I have so many feelings about God's word, or I often make resolutions according to God's word. But if that doesn't issue in actual change in the life, then we're deceiving ourselves. So he says, for if we are a hearer and not a doer, it's like someone who sees everything that's wrong with him himself in the mirror, everything that needs attended to. And he doesn't attend to it at all. He goes away, and pretty soon he's forgotten entirely about whatever his hair looked like or that his teeth looked like they were just about to rot out and fall out of his face or uh, whatever it was that was on his face. Or, you know, that's, of course, that would be crazy. And sometimes there are crazy people who don't really care. But the word is for us not a mirror uh, for the body, uh, but a mirror for the soul. Uh, and here he describes what the Bible is like. When we look into the Bible as those who have been saved by God and Jesus Christ, and those who have been adopted by the Father of lights, and now we ourselves as beloved brethren are to become more and more like our Heavenly Father, uh, we come to the law as a law of liberty. It is not to us uh, something by which we think that um, if we follow these rules well enough, we can obligate God to give us good stuff. Uh, that's legalism. But if you receive the law, if you receive the Bible as a whole, but commandments, instruction in the Bible specifically, as coming from the God who has saved you, and is saving you, and is working in you. You see what he's doing, and his law is for you not a law of bondage, uh, or a law that gives opportunity for merit, but it's a law of liberty. It shows you what freedom looks like, but even more than that, it is an instrument that your Redeemer is using to free you as he works in you. And you say, well, this isn't going to be a law of liberty to me if I don't, if I don't do anything different as a result of it. And so you're looking to him in dependence upon him and seeking to actually be changed and to change as you use it. And his law becomes precious to you then. Yes, because it is his on account uh, of whose it is, it is precious to you, but it is also precious to you because of how it is used. You come to the word of God in fellowship with the God who has saved you and is saving you. And it has this wonderful name when we come to it that way, the law of liberty. Somebody who hears commandments from the Bible or instruction from the Bible or even application of instruction from the Bible 
and shrinks their nose and says legalism. It's because they do not know the God who has saved us and is saving us and how he is using his word that he plants in us to change us, to make us more like himself, to take out impurities that belong to the flesh and to make us more pure and invariable, gentle and steady and godly like he is. When we know that that is what is happening in our use of the word, we are excited to come to it, even, especially sometimes, um, in some aspects rather, when we come to law and instruction. And it says, but you know, the one who is, uh, looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Notice the one who is blessed in what he does is not merely a doer of the work. There are many legalistic doers of the work. They don't hate the law. They think the law is always congratulating them on how wonderful they are. These doers are not blessed in their doing. It's those who come to the law as a law of liberty and continue in what their Lord is doing in them in dependence upon him. These are the ones who, as they do the work in delight upon him, delight in him and dependence upon him, these are blessed in what they do because they're blessed in him, aren't they? The doing is just a demonstration, a symptom, an evidence of the fact that he is the one who is doing it. But the blessedness is, is particularly in him and not so much in the doing by itself. Uh, and so he picks the uh, the one way that we are often self-deceived, and you know, this uh, self-deception has uh, appeared in verse 22 in particular. Am I one in whom God is working? Well, then, let me consider whether what I read and what I sit under in preaching, what I meditate upon before God, is changing what my conversations sound like, how I sound with my siblings, how I sound with my children, how I sound with my wife, how I sound at the church, how I sound with my neighbor. Uh, because the one who thinks he's a rel religious but doesn't bridle his, his tongue is, in, in verse 26, is the self-deceived one in verse 22. Uh, and so uh, may the Lord give us to be uh, unspotted from the world and to care about and notice, especially those uh, whom he cares about notice and notices and to visit them in their trouble uh, and to receive with humility his word and delighting in him who uses it and depending upon him who uses it to change our behavior, to change our life uh, by what he is doing in us by his word. Uh, and especially in how we use our tongues. We're going to have almost an entire chapter on that when we get to verse 3. Verse 3. Chapter 3. Uh, by God's help. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the Father of lights. Thank you that you are God and the Father who works in us by the word that you implant 
and by which you are continuing to work out our salvation. Give us to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling and dependence upon you who works in us both to will and to work for your own good pleasure. Give to me, give to these my wife and children the fellowship with you that comes uh, both in the times of receiving your word with meekness and in the times of seeing you work in us and help us by your spirit in the doing and working out of that word we pray especially that you would help us to guard our tongues to be slow to speak and slow to wrath give us not the wrath of man give us your righteousness, O God, to be reproduced uh, in us in conformity to Jesus from whom it comes by the work of your Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.